<laughs> Thank you, Pete. And uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to, to be here. I have to say, when, uh, when Pete said we were going to start some series in Ephesians, Ephesians, by the way, the book of the Bible, is our identity manual about our identity as Christians. And uh, there, uh, as I looked at it, there was a particular part that uh, I really felt drawn to. And it's in chapter 2, a very famous passage. But I'll just give you the structure of what we're going to go through. The first is an introduction. The second is the first half of the chapter. The third is the second half of the chapter. And the fourth is a goodbye and, out and you know, finish. So that's just in case you wondered where we were going. <laughs> ah. Um, so here's the introduction, identity. I'm so pleased that we sang, I didn't know we were going to sing it, a song today that is all about identity in the bridge part of it. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. And when I first saw that line, I thought, that is a really countercultural line. I mean, when you think of identity, you probably, and quite rightly, we are affected by the culture that we live in. So if you've heard lines like, you've got to make your own mind up about it, or you've got to come to your own view of this, and, and if someone didn't and they said, oh, I think I'll ask my mum or my dad, you kind of think, ooh, there's a bit of development needed here. We want them to become independent. Adults, free thinkers, got a bit of curiosity in their brain. And, and that's kind of right, and half of me agrees with that. But when you come to the Bible, it, it talks about I am who I am because the I am, the name for God, tells me who I am. Don't you tell me who I am. No one tells me what to do, thank you very much. I'll make my own mind up about that. And all those things, we, we have that. I don't know how many times every week that you would hear that sort of thing from, a, um, I don't know, a TV program or, or something like that. And, and you're kind of drawn to it. Yeah, I, I do want to make my own mind up. And yet I've just been singing as far as I could hear, enthusiastically singing, I am who I am, because the I am told me who I am. Well, there's another one that says, um, uh, I can't remember quite how it goes, I've got it written down here somewhere. Uh, I am who you say I am. Do you remember that song? I am who you say I am. And, and so that part of us that's in the culture of the world talks about wanting to be independent, I know me, he went away a boy and came back a man, all that sort of thing. And part of me over here wants to say, Father, what do you say about me? And I need to believe that. I need to believe that against all the temptation. You know, I've heard the accusation, all the propaganda, the lies they told me that I'd be no good, that I'd never get anywhere. Oh, you'll never get anywhere in life. And God says... You are already somewhere, and your job is to catch up with what I've already said about you. And so here we are. Part of us agrees with this, 
And part of us agrees with that. It doesn't make sense. I'm not saying we're all schizophrenic. Well, not all of us, anyway. I looked in the mirror this morning and thought, oh, my goodness, look at that. But <laughs> there is that sense that, yes, I've got to make my own mind up. If you've maybe gone away to college and you've, you've kind of come to some conclusions about things, and they're different from what you used to think. And, and we would applaud that, probably, as independent-minded. But there's also that sense of... When it comes to God, I mean, if God is God, I can't understand him. If I could understand him, I'd be wor worshipping my own imagination, my own intellect. But God is, if God is God, if there is someone called God, then God is above all my understanding. And, and we get little hints of that in the Bible. For example, you've probably come across a verse that says uh, that God gives you peace that passes understanding. You ever seen that? And we don't object to that. We think, oh, that's wonderful. Except when we start to think about it. If you've got peace that passes your understanding, you know, all, all you're left, if someone says, how come you're so much at peace? You say, I don't know. It's beyond me, like, duh, over my head. And, and we had, I think it was two weeks ago, something, or maybe one week ago, something from Ephesians chapter 1, where he says, I want you to know the love that's impossible to know that God has for you. And we've just been seeing, you're so good. And, and so, again, there's, there's part of us that wants to understand things, and we're going to try and understand a little bit about Ephesians chapter 2, but there's part of us that says, God, it's all, it's all you. And sometimes I think we can be a bit lazy about thinking about God. Oh, it's all Jesus, it's all God. And so here we go to try and uh, unpack this, this thing. So here we go. Uh, this is Ephesians chapter 2, the beginning of the chapter. All right. You were dead in your sins and transgressions, in your, um, got it written out here, in your offences and sins. You weren't dead, actually. Your body was living, your, your lungs were working, you were breathing, your blood circulation was there. But spiritually speaking, as far as knowing God and coming to God and, and enjoying his presence, you were absolutely dead. And, and you can't do anything about it. A dead person, you can shout at them, you can tell them to wake up, uh, this, that and the other. But they don't, because they're dead. And so you were dead in your offences and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world. Da-da, this world. And we also, this is Paul and the other evangelists with him, we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the desires of the mind. Now, I only talked to you just now about the desires of the mind. I am who I want to be, etc. But there's also that which we don't often talk about quite so much. What you saw on television yesterday, uh, the things that you indulge in your dreams. The, the, there are lusts of the flesh. The too many biscuits that I ate from the biscuit tin. Um, all, all sorts of things have to do with this body, this flesh. And it says here, we indulged them and we were by nature, with the DNA factor, children of wrath. 
you're children of your mum and dad, but you're also children of someone called Ross. Um, the, the anger at God against all the things that we used to be involved in. And then it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him. Notice the verticality of it. We were dead. right? Imagine yourself in the grave with the worms and the box around you. And then he raised us up. And then it says, far above, he seated us with him, that's Jesus, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this happened by grace. It didn't happen by anything you did or I did, it is by faith, and even faith that you exercise is, is, is the gift of God. Uh, please don't think if you can exercise faith like uh, Pete was talking just now, and it's, it's not actually from me or from you. It, it's, it's from God. It's all from him. It is the gift of God, so nobody can boast. You, you may think there are people here who, oh, they're really good Christians, or they know all about this, that, and the other. Mm -mm, nobody can boast. Even if they would stand up and say, look, it, I'm just the same as you. I know for what it's like, sitting in those chairs there, and they say, look, I'm just the same as you. And you think, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you're the one who's been, you've been in this church for 24 years, or however long it's been going. And you, you, you kind of know a lot of people, and you're well-connected, and so on. But it is true. What they say to you is true because God says it's true. We are who we are because the I am tells us who we are. Now we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Our salvation isn't of works. But when you've been saved, there's works ahead of you, prepared by God. Don't think you've got to decide. No, if you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit to be working with children or with the youth, as, Peter, as Pete was just saying, uh, don't think that's just a good idea from you. More likely, according to this, to be something that God has already prepared for you. And you're walking into what he has already prepared. Well, now, I was thinking about this, and it is very vertical. You start dead, you're made alive, you're raised up into the heavens. It's kind of like that. And, and would you forgive me if I sort of turn it 90 degrees and make it horizontal? Because I drew something for you. My own artistic... Uh, <laughs> I, know, I know it's good, but... <laughs> so this is saying, you were dead in your sins, but there is a barrier before you get into the presence of God. And that barrier was represented in the tabernacle, uh, which is right at the beginning of the Bible, and the temple, which goes far more further into the Bible, the temple of God. That barrier was represented by a thick curtain. I don't think it was thick originally. Um, you can read all about that in Exodus. But by the time it got through to Jesus' time, apparently, according to uh, St. Google, it was about four inches thick. Now, you think of a curtain that's four inches thick. That's lots of layers. 
It's like felt or something. Held up, and this is the barrier to get through to God. Originally, in the tabernacle and in the first temple that Solomon uh, built, there was uh, representation of God was the ark. Um, you can read all about that. It was a, it was a wooden but gold-covered box. In it were the Ten Commandments written by God. And it had a lid on the top called the mercy seat, which you find in the New Testament is called the throne of grace. In Jesus' time, the wretched King Herod had built another temple, a very grand temple, because Solomon's one had been knocked down. And <laughs> a bit like the Wizard of Oz, when you got behind the curtain, there was nothing there. The ark had disappeared. <laughs> and there's loads of theories as to where it is today. If you've seen the film Raiders of the Lost Ark, or there's about five other major theories as to where the ark possibly might be today. But it, it disappeared. So the Holy of Holies was empty. I never realised that before. In Jesus' day, you go behind the curtain once a year. The chief priest was allowed to do it, accompanied with blood to, to, for the forgiveness of sins, and you look around and you can't see a thing because there was no light in it. Only the light of God lit up that holy of holies. And so in the tabernacle and certainly in Solomon's temple, but I'm not sure about Herod's, there was, there was something there. But it represents the presence of God. And you probably know it's recorded in Matthew and Mark and in Luke that when Jesus died... This thick curtain was torn in two to make it even harder. I mean, it, it's a bit like, have you ever tried, um, uh, you remember the old telephone books? You know, pulling them apart, but having to pull it apart from the spine. Ooh, this curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's God at work. And, um, and so access has been given to people who believe in what Jesus did for them on the cross. Access. I can get through to the presence of God. And I'm not saying anything probably that most of you uh, don't already well, well know. But I was trying to think, what do you do when you're in the presence of God? I found a verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that says, Let us therefore uh, enter boldly uh, into to, to the throne of grace and find grace to help in time of need. And that, now this is even less obvious, but that when you ask for grace, for help, when you, when you go into God and, and pray, it's, it's, like, it's like as though you had, God was under an obligation. It says in, in John chapter 16, in that day, Jesus tells his disciples, in that day you will ask anything in my name and it will be granted. It's as though you could come into God and plead the present, the promises of God and say so you make your request known to him and he will give grace. It's kind of me and God. And then 
when you've made your requests, maybe you want to go out again through the torn curtain. And God said, hold on. Could you, could you stay a bit longer? I've put a chair out for you. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. And you feel a bit awkward because you've run out of your prayer list and you're not quite sure what to say. But could, could, could you stay a little longer? Could you linger in my presence? Could you... I've, I've, that, that veil, that the, the curtain that was torn open is my flesh. You read about that in Hebrews chapter 10, that, the, the, that it represents the, the physical curtain represents Jesus dying. It, his, it was his flesh that was torn apart. This is my body, broken for you. It's almost as though you might hear Jesus saying, and I know this is a bit whimsical, but could you stay a bit longer? I, I did this for you. Don't, don't go out through the curtain again. Stay, linger. And you think, oh, why would Jesus want me to spend time with him. Why has he laid out another? He's, God is on the throne. Jesus at his right hand. And there's an empty chair there for me. Why would he want me there? You remember the day before he died, or the, the night before he died, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says to Peter, James and John, would you come with me further into the Garden of Gethsemane? And you might imagine if you got inside their brain, they were thinking, oh, okay, what do we do there? And he says, just watch. I don't want you to do anything. You've got to pray. You've got to sing. Just be there with me. I don't know. Jesus changed materially at Christmas time, the very first Christmas. He, he became the spirit... God the Son took on flesh and he grew to enjoying people's company. I'm, I'm sure he enjoyed people's company before Moses and Samuel and David and all those people from the Old Testament. But my disciples round me, I want you to be there and just, just so I know you're there. Nowadays, I know we do it with mobile phones and that sort of thing. <laughs> but this is the in-person version. Would you just be there? Suppose you think then, all right, I've, I've come into the presence of God. And he says, would I just be there? And you fiddle and you wish you had your phone with you. and you know Something to do as a displacement activity for not feeling... And yet, there's plenty to do in just being there. I don't know how to describe it better than that. If I had a, a, a workshop manual on how to be in the presence of God, I, I would I would give you the, the you know the the internet link, and you could you could get it. You can actually if you want to. About four hundred years ago three to four hundred years ago, a priest called Brother Lawrence wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And uh, you can get it as a PDF on the internet. It's not a brilliant read, I have to tell you. 
I'm, I didn't get on too well with it. <laughs> but the title is what stayed with me. Can you really practice? I know you can practice playing the piano. You can practice writing. You can practice something to pass an exam or something like that. But to practice being in the presence of God. I'm not brilliant at it. And you may say, yeah, 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 you're retired. You haven't got, you know, children, a job to get off to, this, that and the other, nibbling away at you. Everyone's had a bite out of me. But no, you're, you're absolutely right. I do have more time. But I'm not sure if it's the length of time. It, it may be quantity, it may be quality. But if you are listening to the Spirit saying to you, I want to spend time with you, then that's got to evoke a response in your heart. And it's kind of easy, I know what it's like, and probably you do too, to say yes in your heart right now at 12 o'clock on a Sunday morning and somehow by this afternoon and you want to find out how Arsenal are doing against Spurs or whatever, the Chelsea, I mean, you know, whatever. I, I was saying to someone yesterday, it was John, I think, you know, you can, you can be there in the presence of God and it's so easy to think, oh, I haven't had a cup of tea for ages. Or I think I need to go to the toilet. Or, or something or other, or the doorbell goes and with gratitude in your heart, you think, oh, thank goodness for that. I was just sitting there doing nothing. But you weren't. You were there with Jesus and with the Father. You were just there. Sometimes I know we need displacement activities and if you have the chance and the weather's right and you can go walking or something like that, sometimes the walking takes away that itchiness to do something and you can concentrate on God a bit more. But however you do do it, this is the first half of the chapter. Come on in. I want you to spend time with me because I want to spend time with you. Oh, I think I need a cup. I, I died for this. That flesh, that veil you just came through, that's me. When you next have communion and you break the bread, you think of that. This is me making access into the very presence of God. Well, we move on. Remember, it says, that previously you, now we're talking to the Ephesians, they're Turkish Christians. And it's a funny old thing. Probably at that time, there were more Jewish Christians than there were non-Jewish Loads of them had become Christians. Loads of the priests had turned to God. There were thousands of them uh, in, the, in the few days after the, the, the Holy Spirit fell in Pe at Pentecost. And, and so it's funny to think of it. Nowadays, we think Jewish Christians must be well in the minority. I mean, well in the minority. They certainly are. But then it could have been you and me that was in the minority, Certainly most of the bigwigs, like St. Paul, St. Matthew, St. Peter, St. John, and so on, they were all Jewish. All the leaders who've got something to say, all the leaders who, who would 
um, have credibility standing up and this, that and the other, uh, talking to people or sending a, a letter to them, you know, St. Peter says this. <gasps> St. James has just said that. Or whoever. So here I am in the minority. I, I have rarely been in the minority. I remember being in a black church in Walthamstow in East London. And Jackie and I were the only white people there. I couldn't see any others. And then the man at the front says, oh, I see we have some visitors. <gasps> and he wanted to know who'd invited us. And so we said, Paul invited us and so on and so on. Oh, that's okay. But, you know, I don't know. The Turkish Christians were, were sort of in the minority and the Jewish ones were in the majority. And then it says here, God... But God, uh, sorry, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were previously far away, that's the non-Jewish Christians, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace who's broken down a barrier. You thought, oh, you must mean the curtain, the veil in the temple. No, this is, I've never noticed this before. There's a second barrier that Jesus de dealt with. It says here, a dividing wall. And oh, there it is. He made both groups into one. He broke down the barrier, can you see it in line four, of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh a hostility between people who are Jewish and people who are not Jewish. The people who were Jewish wanted a wall there. The wall was never there in the tabernacle. As far as I can read, the wall was not there in Solomon's temple. It came about with the return of the Jews from exile from Babylon, and they were so concerned to remain pure, totally pure, so that it never happened again, that they would be removed uh, from there. And, and they made their purity partly the observing of all the regulations that you get in Leviticus and Numbers and partly in, in Exodus. And but partly on their racial identity, on their ethnicity. And, gentlemen, without asking you to let your trousers down, on a particular operation that had taken place when they were eight days old, so that the spare flesh around the part of the body that had the operation um, was removed. And then you find in the Bible, in the Old Testament, later on, the real circumcision is the circumcision of our hearts. Whether you're male or female, we've got feelings and ideas and thoughts and so on. And we are influenced, as we said, by the culture we live in. But here's God, and I think I need to remove some of the bits that are brought from the culture I live in and the DNA I have as a child of wrath and so on and so forth. It's got to be cut away and had done with. So, but th but they, that inside, that inner circumcision is not what they were talking about. They were talking about the operation. And so there was um, a middle wall of partition and the Gentile, the non-Jewish people could only come so far. In my inimitable style, I've written it out for you like this. Right, G stands for Gentile, the non-Jewish person. 
and they come to the wall, the first of the barriers. There are gaps in the wall, and the Jewish people kindly put some notices in stone, carved in stone, saying, if you are not a Jew, do not come any further or we will kill you. And, and, and it sounds a bit brutal to us, but that's exactly what it was. On pain of death, do not enter. Paul, he was writing around about 60 AD to the uh, Ephesian Christians. And it wasn't until actually 70 that the wall was physically abolished when, they, when the Romans came and, and tore down the temple. But he's saying, no, that just as the circumcision is the circumcision of the heart, this wall is a wall between the, the, the Jewish people who feel that they are so right with God and they've got the promises and they've got the covenant and they've got the Ten Commandments and non-Jewish people who, who would be polluting them. But if you are not a G or a J, and by the way, if you're a G, a Gentile, or a J, a Jewish person, you get hit by the barrier anyway. Uh, you can't come through to the presence of God unless you are a believer in Jesus. And it says, what we just read, Jesus has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the hostility between the two groups. In other words, going back to the communion, this is my body broken for you. I've done the veil and I've done the wall as well. And, and so here we are entering into the presence of God and then feeling, oh my goodness, this part of chapter 2 is not about me and God. It's about us and them. It's about them lot over there. Me and them. Um, I'll try to put it like this. There's a sense that I certainly have of, of here's me, and I'm quite private, and I like to, to know about me. And there's them uh, with their WhatsApp group and their men's breakfast and their brunch and what have you. And, and partly the, the earthly part of me is thinking, yeah, Pete arranged that as a sort of group dynamics thing. So we could all get together again after the, after the lockdown or with the new name of the river. But actually, Jesus would say, no, in my flesh, I died for this. This wall business is not an optional extra. It's, it's no more an optional extra than the veil. You want to get into God's presence? Through the veil. You want to get into God's presence? Through the wall. The wall has been broken down in my flesh. I did this for you. So when you'd have that men's breakfast or that get-together or whatever it might be, the ladies' um, group, when you have those things, don't think of it, oh, we've all got to be nice to each other. Remember that the breaking down, the unity between different groups, and especially between me and them, I've, in the church, there's no, I don't know if you're into sociology, but othering, you know, othering with a capital O, when you look at people and say, oh, you're not the same as us. I other you, and, and you're, you're different. But the whole thing about the broken down wall is that there is no othering. And, and I just referred to you and me in this room, right, the people in the River Church, but what about the people in the Salvation Army? 
and the people in the cathedral and, and the people in the strict Baptist church at the top of New London Road. What about them? And, and there's a wall that maybe have to be broken down. I don't know how the Lord will speak to you about it, but then if you wanted to go further, you could think about Christians in Great Britain. Oh, yes, you say, I go to conferences, but they are all us. They're all people that I know. What about people that are... They're Christians. I know they're Christians, but... I don't know, this is me talking, really. There's a hesitancy. I read that the prison is going to have a carol service, the prison locally. And the person who's going to speak is the Bishop of Chelmsford. And she has come from wherever she's come from. And as soon as I thought, oh, Bishop Chelmsford, uh, cathedral, uh, woman, and, and all sorts of things become, become visible in my heart that I wasn't aware of. And things will happen to you where you suddenly think, oh, my goodness. Did you know, for example, that today, right, November the 6th, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church? And it says in Hebrews chapter 13, think of those people who are being persecuted and who are being so badly in prison for my sake as though you were there with them. As though you were there with them. Not, not give them, oh, I'll send off 20 quid to the, uh, whatever it is, help the persecuted, and that's, that's got rid of it out of my brain for a bit. As though you were there with them. Oh, there's plenty to think about when you're just there in the presence of God. There really is. So there we are. We've come to the end. I said there would be a conclusion, a sort of end of. Well, the first bit, practice the presence of God. The practice of the presence of God. And the second bit, I've got to, and maybe you too, remember that when people say, let's get together as Christians, I have undeclared hostility in me to some of them. I know I have. Or when Pete would say, oh, let's have a, a brunch or something like that, I think, oh, not a brunch. No, 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 that's just Pete. Don't worry about him. But Jesus says, I died for this. That barrier that's the wall, that's me dying. So God... We next, Lord, have our communion service and we take the bread and it's broken, broken for us. Lord God, give us grace, Lord, to remember these barriers, the veil, the curtain, torn apart, that's his flesh. And the wall, broken down, abolished, that's his flesh. And God, may each of us, not in a sort of doctrinaire fashion, step one, step two, step three, but each of us individually find our own lingering in the presence of God and our own identity that gets all mixed up because other people and us are kind of melt into each other. And in the presence of God, me and you kind of melt into each other. And I don't know where I end and you begin. That's what I really want. And that's what it's all about. Give us grace to respond positively in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>